You are listening to World Harvest Church's weekly podcast. WHC is a cross-cultural church with passion for reaching the lost and hurting. We are mission-minded and committed to raising up generations of mighty men and women of God. If you're in the Atlanta area, check us out on Sunday mornings at either 9 or 11.15 a.m. or on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. From wherever you're listening, we hope this week's message empowers you to grow and go. What's up, World Harvest? How many happy people I got here tonight? Wave your hands. I did to be happy. Good. Isn't it being a, good to be in a place where everybody's happy? Everybody's glad. You know, some churches sing that song, He's Made Me Glad, but the look on their face is like, I didn't want to be this way, but he made me glad. How many of you here are glad you're glad? Amen. Glad beats mad every day of the week, doesn't it? Amen. Y'all can be seated. Thank you so much. How many of you enjoyed that praise and worship team? Come on, they did better than that. You know, when you come here, you may be wondering as you drive here, wonder if Eddie will be there. You think Cynthia and Tommy will be there? Will Sister Smith be there? You know what you never wonder? Will the praise and worship be anointed? That's never crossed your mind. Because, you know, every time that you come here, when you walk in, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Give them another hand. They did a good job. You got world-class players here. It just thrills me to be in a church where we got people singing and playing who actually can. <laughs> you gotta love that. So uh, my name is Kim Clout, and I didn't see how many of you raise your hand and said you've never heard me. Okay, quite a few of you. All right. Well, real quickly, just a little background. Etymology is the word for tonight. Look at your neighbor and say etymology. <laughs> etymology. A little etymology in my life. I grew up in church. My dad was a preacher. I was telling somebody before service, my family did tent revivals. How many of y'all have ever read about? I'm saying read about because you hardly ever see it now. You either have to have no hair or gray hair to remember tent revivals. But I grew up, my family did gospel music all over the world, and they did tent revivals. And we had church, let me hear y'all say, every morning, morning. 10 a.m., every night, 7 p.m. I'm talking about seven days a week. I'm going to give some of y'all a minute. Some of y'all right now thinking, I've got to double up my medication. Just thinking about that. But we had church every morning at 10 o'clock, every night at 7 p.m. And so I grew up in church. My dad preached 63 years. My grandfather preached 78 years. So I come from a long line of love is what I'm trying to tell you. I've been preaching 43 years. And I, and I can't believe, amen, I can't believe I get to do this. I have people say to me a lot of times, I don't know, see how you live like that, in airports and rental cars and hotels and suitcases. And I, I'm totally sincere when I tell you, I can't believe I get to do this. That I have the opportunity 52 weeks a year to travel this country and tell people about Jesus and share the gospel with them and to break down the word of God for them so it can do what we've been singing about tonight, change their life. Change their life. And so uh, I, I'm so delighted to be with you tonight. Uh, our ministry, my wife Susan and I head up Kim and Susan Clout World Ministries. We have a Bible teaching ministry. We do music. I'm going to play a little for you at the end. And then we have an outreach. We've been doing outreach to American Indian people now for 33 years. From the Cherokee in North Carolina and in Oklahoma, the Seminole in Florida, up in the Four Corners area, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, the Navajo, the Pima, the Zuni, the Apache, up in the plains of North Dakota, that's where I'm from, Montana, Wyoming. We go to the Sioux, the Assiniboine, the Crow, the Cheyenne, and take all of them the good news. And if there's anybody dying, emphasis on the word dying, to hear the good news, it's Native American people. It's a shame that the native inhabitants of our country, in other words, the ones that discovered Columbus, have the shortest lifespan of any ethnic group in America. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. They need to know the truth. How many of you know, just like you and anyone else you've ever known, once they hear the truth and apply it to their life, everything changes. And so that's what we endeavor to do is take them the good news. So that's the first Americans. We go to the Indians. And then it dawned on me, Jesus died for everybody. How many of y'all believe that? He died for everybody. So it occurs to me, if he died for Indians... Well, he died for cowboys too. Huh? I don't know if everybody's fighting about it. He died for everybody. 
So we have an outreach to them too. My wife sings, preaches, does entire services sitting on her horse. I'm talking about literally on her horse. And she teaches the Bible using the horse as the example or the object lesson. How many of you know if the object lesson weighs 1,200 pounds, it makes it easy to connect the dots? And so that's, that's what our ministry is about. I said the word tonight is etymology. Uh, as someone who essentially makes a living with my mouth, I love words. I not only love words, I love the study of words. If you love the word, how many of you love the, the word? Well, then you have to do study. How many of you here have a copy of Vine's Expository Dictionary of Greek Words? Many of you do. Because what you're talking about there is the etymology of the word when it was translated by King Jimmy into the English. you got to go back to the source. Amen? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, how many of you here have Strong's Exhaustive Concordance? See, how many of you here on your second copy? Yeah. So all of that is the study of words. I enjoy the study of words. Uh, I enjoy particularly, I like to laugh, so I enjoy the study of, of silly words and phrases. Uh, how, many of you heard, how many of you here say that? Did you see that Braves game last night? It was a doozy. How many of you have ever heard it's a doozy? Where does that come from? The etymology of doozy goes back over 100 years right here in the United States of America. There were two brothers the Duesenberg brothers, who wanted to build the most exotic, most powerful, most beautiful, most luxurious automobile ever built. They're, they spared no expense. In fact, that vehicle in its time cost six times more than the next highest priced vehicle. They achieved it. It had the beauty and luxury. It had the power. It was kind of like a Lamborghini and a Rolls Royce rolled into one, to give you modern day examples. But to show you how well they hit it out of the park. In January of this year, two Duesenbergs, one in 1921, the other one in 1922, both sold in Monterey, California for over $3 million. That's a doozy. <laughs> so there's the etymology of doozy. How many of you have ever heard? Uh, my mother-in-law came, came over last night, and so my wife pulled out all the stops. How many of you have ever heard that? Where does all the stops come from? I'm a guitar player. My second favorite instrument, Hammond B3. Give me Billy Preston. How many of y'all know about Billy Preston? If you don't, you need to go to YouTube tonight <laughs> and dial up Billy Preston on a B3. Ain't nothing like it. Uh, and if you know anything about a B3, it's got two keyboards. And above each of those keyboards are some slides. They're called stops. And they aren't uh, incremental. It's just you can infinitely adjust them however much you want to pull them out until they're all the way out. Now, if you really wanted to have a big sound, how many of you know every time you pulled out a slide, it changes the sound? And so if you wanted to have the biggest sound possible, what would you do? So there you go. So tonight I said the word is etymology. I want to talk about the etymology of two of the most important words in your life. I pray the two most important words in your life. And those two words are... Christianity and church. Christianity and church. Those two words have not always been in the lexicon of the world. They have an origin. They have an etymology. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at that. And the way we're going to do it is I want you to turn if you have your Bible with you to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, while you're turning there, and they're going to put it up on the screen for us in a moment, but while, while you're looking there, I just want to talk about, how many of you know, if you want to talk about the etymology of anything, it all starts with God. Amen. I mean, he's the author of everything. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you study God, it's called theology. I have a degree in theology. That's the study of God. But how many of you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered the picture. And so now you had to have an addendum to theology, the study of God, because now we've got the Son of God, Christ, enter in Christology, the study of Jesus. And so if we're going to talk about the study of Jesus, we talk about his beginning. Now, how many of you know Jesus was unlike anyone who has ever walked the earth? Can we agree on that? I mean, that's the premise upon which I'm going to build everything. He was different. And, and to prove that to you, as at Exhibit A, how many of you know he was different from the beginning? I mean, literally, from his birth. No, not his birth, his conception. Right? Because, I mean, there have been young girls, I'm sure, in this city who are pregnant and go, I don't know how this happened. Yes, you do. <laughs> but Mary could literally say, I don't know how this happened. 
Even though the angel told her it would and it did, she still didn't know. None of us really know. How you conceive by the Holy Spirit. And yet that's exactly what happened. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So from the beginning, say from the beginning. From the beginning, his life was a miracle. Now, if you study the Bible, you know that things are largely silent about the, the beginning years of Jesus. We do have this story where his mom was looking for him and couldn't find him. How many, how many mothers here have ever looked for your kids and couldn't find them? Right. And, of course, you know the story. Where did she finally find him? He was in the synagogue. You know, and he said, why didn't you look here first? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? But other than that, we really don't have anything until John the Baptist is baptizing. And he looks up on the bank and here comes walking Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And from that moment, Jesus enters the picture of earth and everything. Say everything. Everything changes. Because from that moment on, everybody look at me. Because I want you to get this. From that moment on, he began saying things no one had ever said. He said things nobody had ever said. Everybody in this side of the room, remember he all said, he said things nobody had ever said. He said things nobody said. How many of you know, if you say things no one has ever said, people are going to talk about you. Can we agree? Hey, let's be real. Some of y'all have said stuff everybody said and people talked about you. Well, I'm not the only one that said it, but he's the only one who said these things. He said things no one had ever said. That's your line. He said that. I mean, he said things like, nobody comes to the Father unless he goes through me. How many of you know most of what he said made the church leadership of the day mad? So mad they wanted to stone him, right? I mean, he said, like, I'm the only gate that gets you in. When Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus died, do you know the story? Martha recognizes that he's sick. He's at death's door, and she says to a servant, come here, come here, look at me. Can you imagine that servant? He comes, and he knows, look. How many married men do I have here? How many brothers in the struggle? Raise your hand if you're... <laughs> How many of you men here know the look? A couple of you got it just then. I'm not going to point out. It was one that went. You all know the look. Well, I guarantee you Martha gave that servant, look at me, look at me. Listen, I want you to go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick and he should come now. Look, now, what are you going to tell him? She walked him all through it, held his hand and said, now go. And he goes, you know the story? He goes and tells Jesus. And Jesus said, like, oh, well, let's go right away. No, Jesus just lackadaisically kind of goes about other things. Until Lazarus dies and is dead four days. When Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you know, our brother Lazarus, he's sleeping. And they said, well, because they'd heard he's sick. They said, well, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. And he said, no, you don't understand. He's sleeping, sleeping. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about sleeping, sleeping. That's, that's what he was doing. And so they go coming. Now, here's what I want you to think about. That that servant had gone and told Jesus, and now he knows he's got to go back. Don't you know Martha is looking? Has he come back yet? No. You know she's looking. She's looking through the blinds. Where's he been? What is he doing? And don't you know when he's coming back, he's thinking what every man knows. Just don't make eye contact. <laughs> Just don't make eye contact. No, she says she's looking at me. She's still looking at me. What can I do? What do I need to do over here? I've got to go fix something. And she says, come here. And he comes, did you tell him? Well, yeah, well, what did you tell him? I don't know, like, I know you well, where is he? <laughs> I don't, did you tell I promise you I told him. Where is he? he don't show up until Lazarus has been dead four days. And Martha goes out there and says, didn't you get my text? <laughs> I mean, I posted four times, Laz is sick, come quick. <laughs> and now he's dead. And Jesus said, he, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. She said, sleeping? How many know she looked at him and said, surely he stinketh. <laughs> so you know, I'm thinking, that's my life verse. I need to put that on my business card. Surely he stinketh. <laughs> and he said, no, he'll rise again. And she said, well, I mean, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection. And what did Jesus say? I am. No one ever said things like that. Say it. He said things nobody had ever said. 
Now, how many of you know he didn't just talk? He did. How many of you know he did things no one had ever done? He did things nobody had ever done. He did things that were so incredible, so dramatic, so off the chain. People who weren't even there were talking. Tell me again what he did. I'm telling you, he put mud on a man's eyes, and now he can see. He didn't. He did. <laughs> Tell him, Bobby. I mean, Tell him, Hezekiah, that's what he did. <laughs> so let me hear y'all say, he said things nobody ever said. And then he, if you ever wonder, what's the story of the life of Jesus? There it is summed up in two sentences. He said things nobody ever said, then he turned around and did things nobody ever did. If you're saying things nobody has ever said, if you're doing things nobody's ever done, people are going to talk about you. Certainly the people who heard you say it are going to talk about you. But how many of you know people who weren't even there firsthand, they've just heard about what you said, are talking about you. And surely people who saw what you did are going to talk about it. But even people who didn't, weren't there to hear but just heard the story. Everybody, you can be sure, was talking about what Jesus said or what he did. Which brings us in to this verse we're going to look at. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? How many know this is a rhetorical question? What is a rhetorical question? A rhetorical question is a question that has the answer in the question. So he looked at him and said, who do the people say the Son of Man is? How many of you know he knew who he was, right? Who is he? He's the Son of Man. But who do the people say that I am? How many of you know we live in a culture today, people don't know who they are? You know, I grew up in a time when people were trying to get in touch with themselves. <laughs> I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. I'm trying to find myself. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard that? I always want to ask them, hey, out of curiosity, where are you going to look first? <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious. Where do you think you are? <laughs> but how many of you know this culture today isn't troubled with who they are? They're troubled with what they are. They don't know. How many of you know once you deny the reality of biology, you can deny any reality. No wonder people are making it up as they go. People out there today want you to believe there's no difference in a man and a woman. Now come on, quit being church people for a minute and think. How many of y'all remember the first time you discovered there's a difference? That was a Shazam moment, wasn't it? Golly. I heard, now I'm seeing. There's a difference. But there are people out there today, some of them have degrees on the wall. Some of them are politicians. And I won't go any further. I'll just leave it there. They want you to think there's no difference. Male and female for them is a moving target. Right? I mean, he's wearing a woman's bathing suit. He must be a woman. <laughs> they won't have that on the tape. I'm sure they'll edit that off. <laughs> There's a difference. The scripture says God made them male and female. How I many know oh, he has the patent? Everybody look at me. He has the patent on humanity. He made mankind. What's crazy is we got people today that want to usurp and steal copyright. Have you ever noticed how when you rent a movie, you watch it home, it's got all these, you know, subject to penalty of law and $10,000 fine and, and all this and we'll spank your hands. And if you steal, if you videotape, Anything, if you record something. People today are so concerned about intellectual copyright. So am I. But God has the, the patent on all of humanity. But people think they can come in and redefine stuff. Now a marriage is two men or it's two women or it's dogs. So understand this. When Jesus said, who do the people say I am? He knew who he was. 
And let me furthermore say, you'll never know who you are if you don't know who he is. You'll be on a constant search, perhaps for what you are, but surely for who you are. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before your daddy said, it's a boy, God already knew you. And the Bible said he didn't just know you. He knows the end from the beginning. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. So don't listen to people today who would lie to you. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. no. You can't tell. You never know. (laughs) So who do the people say I am? Look how they responded. Verse 14, they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Basically what they're saying is they know you're saying stuff nobody's ever said. They know you're doing stuff nobody's ever done, but they can't quite put their finger on who you are. And that's understandable because a lot of them were seeing from a distance. A lot of them were hearing from a distance. But then something powerful happens. In the very next verse, Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Because you see, those disciples not only heard everything he said, they heard things he only said to them. They not only saw everything he did, they saw things he only did for them. Wave your hand if you understand. So they saw things nobody else saw. They heard things nobody else heard. And so Jesus has a right to look at him and say, I understand that people are all over the page. They don't know who I am. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? How many of you know that is the most important question you'll ever be asked in your lifetime? I'm going to say that again. The most important question you'll ever be asked in your lifetime is, what about you? Who do you say I am? And how many of you know life is nothing but questions? How many of you know it starts early on when you're just running around like this? What's your name, little boy? What do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you know it doesn't change? You get older, it's, do you take this woman to be your lawfully little-headed wife? (laughs) My wife loves to make points to me by asking questions. Are these your socks? (laughs) And I always think, well, if they're not, I'm the one with questions. Life is full of questions. You're constantly being questioned. What's your pen? What's your password? Do you know the answer to these security questions? But you will never be asked a question like this one that will have more impact on your life. What about you? Here's what I want you to consider. You answer that question with everything you say every day. You answer that question every day with the thoughts that cross your mind. You reveal who you think he is by the way you act and talk. That's good preaching, y'all. Wave your hand and say, I know that's right. Yes, it's right. How many of you know you'll never get any question in your life right if you can't get that question in your life right? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, look, tempestuous Peter quickly responds and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Everybody point up here. Point at the screens. If you're not pointing, you're out of the will of God. (laughs) Point. Everybody point. Are you pointing, ma'am? Yeah, I see it. Okay. Everybody point and say, "Right right here, right now. This is when the idea of Christianity is At this moment, when Peter identifies Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. This is the origin of Christianity. This is when it starts. This is when it begins. Right here, right now. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Look how Jesus responds to him in the next verse. He says, hey, bud, that wasn't on the syllabus. We didn't talk about that on the men's retreat, right? That wasn't in the free 
You are free. We can, forever free. We didn't talk about that in forever free. I was looking, I was trying to find it. I know it. How many of y'all ever trying to find it? Where is that key thing? I'm, it's there somewhere. If I just keep punching around a minute, I'll find it. He said, flesh and blood never revealed that to you. But that came from my father, which is in heaven. You see, at that moment, Peter correctly identified the significance of this man who said things nobody ever said and then did things nobody ever done. He said what he said. He did what he did because he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. Point up here again and say, right here, right now. That's when Christianity enters into the lexicon of human thought. When he is recognized and uh, uh, correctly identified as the Son of God. Now look at the next verse. Then Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, or the next verse, verse 18. I should have read that to you. Let's go back to verse 17. I summarize it, but let's actually read it. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father which is in heaven. And then look at the next verse. He says, And I tell you, Peter, and by the way, etymology, what is the etymology of the word Peter? What is the original translation of that English word Peter? Petra, which means rock. So, so literally, his name means rock. I'm sure that's a quinky ding. It means rock. But then he says to him, Peter, it's upon this rock what you just confessed that I'll build my what? My church. Point up here. Say right here. Right now. This is when church, as you and I know it, began. Up to that time, they're talking synagogue. Now Jesus, and who's Jesus been correctly identified as? Son of God, the Messiah. He says, now, it's upon that confession, I will build my church. In back-to-back sentences, the word Christianity and the word church manifest. Stroke your beard. That's heavy, ladies. Go ahead and stroke yours, too. That's deep. I like her. She's over here. She's like, this is how I roll. (laughs) She's down here three inches from her chin. This is how I roll. That's powerful. It begins with Peter, the rock, making a confession. And it's upon the confession, you are the Christ, that Jesus, for 2,000 years, has been building his church. How many know tonight you're not at church? you not come to church. You're not attending church. You're not in the church. We're not having church. Y'all remember when there'd be people in the lobby, it's church over yet. <laughs> How many know tonight when we turn the lights off in here, church isn't over? It just moved. Seriously, say it. I am the church. I teach people this. Say, I'm the rolling church. Say, wherever I go, I am the church. You're the only church some people will ever see. You're the only Bible some people will ever read. Aren't you called by his name? Aren't you a Christian? Yes. Well, what does that mean? Jesus said, I'm building my church on this idea of Christianity. I'm building my church on that confession. I'm building my church, Peter, on your confession. How many of you know in biblical times when they built a building, they had great pomp and circumstance when they would lay the first stone of the foundation. That stone was called the cornerstone. And they had a huge ceremony and great pomp and circumstance when they put that stone in the ground. Now, parenthetically, how many of you know at the end, when they finished and completed the building, they put the last stone in place. They similarly had a party. What was that stone called? The capstone. So from the cornerstone to the capstone, it was significant. And for the cornerstone of church as we know it was this confession, you're the Christ. He literally has built everything on that confession. Similarly, everybody look at me. The reason I have you look at me is you're just like a horse. (laughs) Now, before you get insulted... Somebody say, my my nose isn't that long. You're just like a horse in that. You can tell where a horse is listening by where his eyes are. 
You can tell where a horse is looking by where his ears are. Anybody here own horses? You guys have, have or have had horses? If you're looking about horses, you know that... Uh, how many of y'all ever seen a bunch of horses out in a pasture and all eating, all of a sudden one of them goes? <laughs> and how many of you know as soon as he goes, the rest of them all go? <laughs> and then this one runs, and how many of you know the other 49 run with him? And then when they get over there, they're like, what were you running about? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm running because you're running. Well, what were you running from? I don't know, but it's over there. See, you can't tell where a horse is looking. How many of you know them big bowling ball eyes? You can't tell what they're looking at. I mean, you've never seen a horse go, would you look at him, would you look at him? You can't tell. <laughs> the only way you can tell where a horse is looking is And how many of you know their eyes work independently? They have monocular and binocular vision. So in other words, their eyes can see like ours do, so to speak, in unison. But how many of you know they could, should they choose, have one eye watching that door and another eye watching that door, I'm serious, at the same time. Their brain is even split, and this side works with this side, and this side works with that side. That's why, have you ever seen the ears where they got one facing this way and one facing the other way? Seriously. They can have one, they can look ahead and behind at the same time. I'm serious. They can look at themselves. No, not really, not really. So I have you look at me because I know if your eyes are getting this, your ears are getting this. In the same way Jesus told Peter, I'm building my church on that confession, you build your life on your confession. Now, if you're building your life on the confession, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, it don't matter what hell comes your way. And how many of you know it's coming? How many of y'all here have ever been hurt? Come on, raise your hand if you've been hurt. Yeah, we all have. Hurt's going to come. Trouble, people are going to lie to you. People hurt, and, and I bet the people that hurt you the worst are the people that should have loved you the most. People you should have been able to trust the most are the ones who hurt you the most. But you see, it's whether you have the right answer to that question, who do you say that I am, that enables you to have the right response to when they hurt you. If you don't know the answer to that question, then you become a victim for the rest of your life. That's how you identify. That's what you put. I'm a victim. I've been hurt. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But I've got a color brochure. Just read it and weep. How many of you know being hurt can only identify you if you stop and allow it to? Other people, it's not been hurt, it's been failures in your life. How many of you here have ever failed? Well, of course. Everybody here has failed. There's not a one of y'all at three years old just walked up and said, give me that bike and rode it. <laughs> right? You know, they say once you learn, you'll never forget. Let me tell you what I'll never forget is my dad teaching me <laughs> to ride my bike. He waited till my mother was out of town. He did. Get your bike, boy. You can put my training wheels on? My cousin gave me training wheels, schmaining wheels. Just get your bike and come here. Now, every man in this room can tell you where my dad took me. Men, where'd he take me? A hill, that's right. A hill. We went looking for a hill. Estrogen in here was going, what were they looking for, a helmet? <laughs> were they looking for permission? No, we were looking for a hill. And we didn't have to go far. And you know what he did when he got me to the hill? He pushed me. <laughs> right, boy? Yeah, and for like 10 feet I did until I realized I was. And then I dumped it. And I did what any four-year-old boys can do. I started crying, Mama! And he said, she's miles away, son. She can't hear you. Pull your bike back up here. here. I'll carry your leg for you. Come on, bring your bike back up here. And when he got me up there, what did he do, man? Push me again. Guess what? I learned to ride from my failures. 
That's why the most successful people in this room, whoever here is making the big bucks, whoever here owns your own business is profitable, retiring at 50. You know why? I bet you failed several times to get there. How many of the Braves are world champions? But I've been a fan since 66. And that hadn't happened here but twice. 95 and last year. How many of you know most of the rest of them years was heartbreak? Heartbreak hotel. But how many of you know in their failure, they developed in 1990 when they were the worst team in the major leagues. They morphed into 1991. They went from worst to first. Made it to the World Series. They lost the World Series in seven games and arguably the greatest seventh game ever played, them and the Twins. How many of y'all remember that? It was a doozy. <laughs> but how many of you know failure is part of success? And what allows you to deal with failure correct? Having the right answer to that question, who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Who am I to you? You see, if you have that right answer, how many of you know it allows you to treasure the right things? Jesus taught one time and he said, either make, everybody do this. Again, if you're not doing it, you're out of the will of God. Everybody do it. Hey, wait a minute. Nobody exempted you. Balcony people. Have you ever noticed balcony people act like we're on the back row, we're untouchable? <laughs> that won't be on the tape either. They'll take that off. How many of you know Jesus said, either make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad? How many know there's no such thing as good trees and bad trees? That's why he said, either. Make. In other words, choose. Now, how many of you know Jesus wasn't about horticulture? How many know he wasn't about an arborist? He used those analogies. He used those parables to actually talk about mankind. And so in the very next sentence, he could see it would, they were missing a lot of it. So he then said, okay, here's the deal. The good man brings up good that is stored in him. But the evil man brings up evil that is stored in him. Now look at me. No one is born inherently good or evil. That's some more of the smack that people will tell you today. Oh, you can't tell the difference. But some of them are bad. They're bad seed. No. How do people become bad? Jesus said as much. He said there's a good man, and then he contrasted that with an evil man. So how did the good become good and the evil become evil? You choose. The good man brings up good because how many of you know the Bible says that's what he's treasuring? Treasure. Whenever you hear the word treasure, etymology, when you hear the word treasure, what do you think of? Hardy har. <laughs> Patch. Peg leg. Johnny Depp. That's what you think. Hardy har. <laughs> Little uh, current event humor there, sorry. Uh, Hardy hard. And what is everybody looking for? They're looking for the pirate's treasure and they all want a map to see where it's buried. So you see, Jesus said the good man becomes good not because of who his parents were. He becomes good not because of his environment. He becomes good because of the choices he makes. Either make. The good man chooses to treasure good things. How do you do that? You think of the word of God. That's why Paul said, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good report, what should you do? Think on that. Nudge your neighbor say, think about that. But how many of you know, if you don't have the right answer to this question, who do you say that I am? What are you likely to treasure? Every car I get tears up. I don't even know why I'm going for this interview. You know they're not going to hire me. Did it break? Ah, oh, that figures. We live in a land of broken. If it weren't for duct tape and bungee cords, our house would fall down. See, if you don't have the right answer to that question, you'll never have the right answer or response to any question. Trouble's coming. Shaking's coming. Amen? 
Say it, shaking's coming. coming. How many of y'all here have ever been to these restaurants where you can serve your own beverage to yourself? How many of you like that? I do, because when I go there, they say, what would you like to drink? I said, I'll take the IV drip with the 50-gallon drum. And in the absence of that, then I'll go fill it myself. How many of you here, even though you know you can simply walk back up and get more refills, how many of you here, nonetheless, fill it to the absolute top? If you do, identify and raise your hands. That's right. You're good Americans. Yes, you are. Fill it to the top. I do that every time. However, there was one time that I did it. And by the way, when you get it so full, what is the next knee-jerk response that you have to do? Yeah. <laughs> huh? Didn't y'all need a, you know, a, an object lesson on how to do that? You just know inherently. You sip it down. I know that. You know that. I'm in a public place. I feel it. I go, and I hear, Kim! <laughs> Whatever my name has two syllables. <laughs> Kim! When my mother would say that as a 12-year-old gentleman, how do we respond to that? What? (laughs) When my wife now, Kim, what? You know what? I really did, and I said, what? She goes, you dinosaur? (laughs) She called me a dinosaur. I said, what are you talking about? She said, why would you do that? I said, do what? She goes, sip. I said, well, I got it too full. She said, well, then don't fill it too full. I said, it already was. And then she said, pour some out. I thought I was going to need counseling. (laughs) There's thirsty people in China. I'm not pouring any of this out. Pour it out. Get behind me, Satan. But I knew if she ain't happy, I won't be. So I knew I've got to come up with a solution here. I want to fill it that full, and I can't sip it. And so, how many of you here have similarly adopted this walk? It's it's full, but it's, it's good. How many of you know it's all good? Until a family of seven, five of whom are under the age of six, Get up to leave at the same time. And what happens? Everybody look at me. You get shook. And then what's inside comes out. See, beloved, that's what life does. It shakes you to reveal what you've been treasuring. Because how many of you know you can't bring something up that you didn't first put down? Come on, y'all. How many know you can't make any withdrawals if you hadn't made any deposits? If all you ever deposit is lack, defeat, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, how many know when shaking comes, that's all you can bring up? But Jesus said, if you want to be a good man, treasure, treasure, bury the word. And you can start always. I like when you said, Grace, when you said, whatever's going on, just think and remind yourself of who Jesus is. Didn't they do a good job leading that praise and worship? I hope you don't mind me telling this. When she came down, I said, my wife and I were the first itinerants that Pastor and Linda ever had minister for them in 1992. You were three. And now look at her, y'all. It's what you bury that is revealed when shaking comes. That's why some of you, shakings come and comes out of your mouth and you're like, I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Well, it's not a mystery. It only came up if you first put it down, right? Everybody do this. And he said, keep your mouth. So it's your choice. Every day, if you choose to think on the things of God, 
If you think on the things that are lovely of a good report, is anything is praiseworthy or excellent, Paul said, think on these things. Whenever I'm telling people about that, I haven't put their hands on the hip. Put your hand on your hip. You men, I'm going to have to tell, get a sassy look. You ladies just went straight to it. I like that. She was like, a couple of them here. How many of y'all have seen that when they got that head, neck thing going, you know? Yes. Right. Let me hear y'all say, I've changed my mind. That's what God has called every one of us to do. How do you do that? It starts with correctly answering that question. What about you? Who do you say I am? You will never be a victor in this life if you don't know the right answer to that question. When trouble comes, you'll only see yourself as a victim. You'll tell everybody how bad it's been. How many of you here know somebody? Because clearly it's none of you. But how many of you know somebody that if you give them half a chance, they'll tell you how bad everything's been? Tell you, Did I ever tell you about my ex-husband? Yes, Harriet, you've told us. Well, I'm going to tell you again. And then she tells you all the stuff he did. And then you ask her, well, Harriet, when was that? 84. <laughs> but how many of you know for Harriet, it's today. Because Harriet has lived her whole life like this. She can't see anything that's ahead for everything that was behind. That's why the Lord said, I'm the great I am. I'm right now. You want to help to get free from your past? Listen, nothing changes your past. God will set you free from it. But you know what could change everything in your life? Your future could change if you just forgive people. Well, he doesn't deserve it. He didn't ask. Well, he may never. And after all, how many of you know you're not forgiving them for him? You don't even have to tell him. Tell God, I choose to forgive what he did to me. And I choose to never think of it again. I choose to never speak of it again because it does not define me because I know the right answer to that question. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you're the one that allows me to be a victor even when I was a victim. You left your house today either a victor or a victim. You went to bed last night, either a victor or a victim. And you've listened to this entire message and you're interpreting everything you think about it from the mindset of a victor or a victim. Let me tell you what you will never be. You're one or the other tonight, but let me tell you what you'll never be. Both. You can't be more than a conqueror and a victim when it suits my purposes. You're one or the other, you'll never be both. Say this to me, I know the right answer. He is the Christ, the Lord of my life. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. Until you have the right answer to that question, who do you say that I am? You'll never have the right answer for any question. I don't assume just because you're here on a Wednesday night. I don't assume just because you're at church that you've asked Jesus in your heart. Because I know how it was for me. I went to church for 18 years, lost. I had a dad that was a preacher. A grandfather was a preacher. I was a hellraiser. I'm just being straight up with you. I, that's what I was. But one night... The trouble was too great in my life to bear any longer. Somebody had enough guts and backbone to look at me and say, you need Jesus. And the way they enticed me, they said, yes, your life is in a pit, but check this out. His love goes deeper than your pit. He loves you anyhow. Knows everything you've said, knows everything you've done. Loves you anyhow. And as an 18-year-old Hellraiser. I was changed. I have a friend here that I went to high school with. Been my friend since fifth grade. We used to party together all the time. In fact, I talked to him the first time in 43 years last year. We're not sure where we were the last time we were together. We know this, we were high. 
But he said, man, I heard you were preaching. He said, then I found you on the internet preaching. He said, I wasn't sure it was you because you didn't have long hair. You didn't have any hair. But he said, I see what God's done in your life. And he said, I had to tell you, he's done it for me too. So you may be here tonight for your first time. You may have been coming for years. Going to church ain't going to get you to heaven. Owning a Bible won't get you to heaven. Just because your wife's going don't mean you will. Jesus told a man named Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. You have to know the right answer. Who do you say I am? So with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight and you'd like to exchange heartbreak for hope, despair and depression for joy, darkness for light, defeat for victory, anger for peace, Here's what's cool. You don't need a password. There's no forms to fill out. The apostle said, all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and he'll change you. What will he change? The one part you can't, your heart. He'll work from the inside out. If you're here tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight and you've never asked Jesus in your heart, but you'd like to, Maybe you did years ago and you've been living in rebellion. You know tonight you need to rededicate your life to him. doesn't make any difference to me. I'm not going to make you stand up. I won't make you come to the front. I'm going to just pray for you right where you're seated. But I just want to know. And I want you to be able to tell him, Father, I'm ready. I know the right answer tonight and I'm ready to tell you. You're my Messiah. You are my Christ. Forgive me of my sins. If you're here tonight and you've never made that confession, I want you to do something simple right where you're seated. Just raise your hand briefly where I can see it. Thank you once again for listening to World Harvest Church's podcast. World Harvest Church is pastored by Pastor Merrick and Linda Houghton in Roswell, Georgia. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit our website at whcga.com like our Facebook page, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by typing WHCGA into the search bar on both platforms. And we hope you have a blessed week.